Welcome back to the Knock On Sports, and joining me right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline, good friend of the show, Keith Brake, host of the breakdown on Bison 1660, 4 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Keith, hope you're doing well on this Friday, my man. Yeah, doing great. Uh, coming to you from Kansas City, actually, on the road with North Dakota State women's basketball as uh, they continue uh, a season where they're trying to get that first winning record since 2009-10 under second-year head coach Jory Collins, and uh, ran into a little bit of trouble today with Kansas City, but a chance to bounce back tomorrow. Well, I was about to say, Keith, what's it been like? Because you're traveling, you're calling basketball games, you're calling college basketball games. Um, what's it been like as you travel through this COVID-19 world right now? To be honest with you, it's not been a whole lot different except for the masks and the occasional uh, Q-tip to get shoved up my nose because I'm <laughs> part of the travel party. So uh, we get tested three times uh, before we travel to uh, a new destination to go on the road to face a team. Uh, at home, we don't test as frequently, but uh, the team still does. I don't test, but the team does. Uh, and, you know, that's been the, the main thing that, that everybody in North Dakota has been working toward is greater diligence to try to prevent the spread of this thing. And so we're sitting around 1,000 active cases in the state, and numbers have been declining steadily since you know, they peaked in, in really uh, horrific numbers uh, back in November. But we've been getting it under control. The vaccine rollout's going well. and uh, I have been able to avoid this, thankfully, and uh, North Dakota State has been able to avoid any disruptions uh, as a result of it. So uh, in that respect, maybe we're a little bit lucky, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll we'll count our blessings as they come our way. Absolutely. Glad to hear that, man. Uh, really glad to hear that. I know you obviously you travel, and so uh, there's a lot of risks that go with that as you continue to travel. Um, Keith, a lot of lots happening, obviously, as you just talked about with COVID. Also, still in the sports world, as we look at the FCS, we saw the WAC is getting announced a couple of weeks ago. Now, the news today: the A Sun picking up a couple more teams as well. Let me just get your thoughts on what we've seen this year for the FCS as we see the landscape changing. I think a lot of schools are looking at what's going to happen up on the horizon. They're looking down the pipe at around 2025. That's when the Big 12's grant of media rights expires. It's when they'll have new television contracts kick in, and everybody is looking at Texas and Oklahoma. What are they going to do? What are they looking at? What are their options? Are they going to leave the Big 12? Are they going to stay? Where do they go if they leave? Do they go independent? Do they join the Big Ten? Do they join the SEC? Do they do something else that's a little bit more outside the box? Uh, And that will create a cascade effect of realignment moves throughout FBS, that could leave well-positioned schools with an opportunity to move up in about four or five years, particularly in the Southeast, which is where the ASUN is based and also where the WAC happens to be based. Not really in the Southeast, it's based in Texas primarily with a couple of outlets uh, coming in Utah. But the primary goal, I think, of the WAC was to build a nucleus around Texas, because there are so many other Division I schools there. I think they're looking at the possibility of an FBS conference down the road that could potentially catch, you know, like a UTEP or a UTSA or some of those other Texas schools and create a condensed Texas-heavy league. I think the schools that you're seeing in the ASUN are maybe looking at what might happen in the Sun Belt come 2025 and, and positioning themselves for a potential move up to FBS. If you want to do that, you got to start right now. You can't wait until, you know, schools start moving around and, and the proverbial, uh, you know, the bullets start flying, so to speak, uh, when this thing gets hot, because it will get hot fast. And if you are left without a seat, you're going to be stuck where you are for a really long time. 
Keith, it's interesting you bring that up because obviously the TV contracts, as you just talked about, are going to really uh, shift some things. And so let me get your thoughts. What does that mean for North Dakota State? Obviously, the talk's been there about potentially can they be a team that moves up? Uh, Is there a conference that would take them? What do you think about that talk as we get closer to 2025? I'm obviously not in the room when these conversations happen, but I do think that all of this with the spring season and the complete lack of coordination among FCS member institutions has maybe made North Dakota state lean a little more aggressively toward pushing for FBS. And and it's still about, you know, the right opportunity. It's about the right fit. If that opportunity comes along, I think North Dakota state will take it. I would say if I were in the, the management suite of NDSU athletics, I would be looking very closely at what happens with Boise State in the Mountain West because the possibility of them leaving creates the potential for maybe a football-only invitation for North Dakota State. And if that were something that North Dakota State were open to, which I think they would be because they'd have their cake and eat it too, they play FBS football and keep their Olympic sports in the Summit League, a football-only invitation is something that I think makes sense for everybody because now you've got a really good football program in the central time zone, gives you more games, you don't have to expand the basketball revenue pie at all, and you can replace a school that has a really avid fan base in Boise State with a school that has a really avid football fan base in North Dakota State. So uh, in talking to people, writers who cover this thing or these sorts of things and you know talk to uh, industry people all the time, it sounds like if the Mountain West and North Dakota State uh, were to have mutual openings, then that interest would be very strong and, and it would be very likely that something could come from it. But we don't know. There's a lot of other things in play and it could com- go out completely differently or play out completely differently uh, by the time all said and done. But I definitely think there is momentum among the public for FBS. And I don't know if that is translating into internal pressure, but I do think there are some people who are paying very close attention to what's happening in the group of five to see if something could come up that fits North Dakota State. Right now we are with Keith Brake, host of The Breakdown on Bison 1660, 4 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Keith, uh, bring it a little bit back more to the present time here. To make up these other conferences, um, the, the, the A-Sun had to grab three teams from the OVC. The, the WAC grabbed four teams from the Southland. What do you think about the state of those two conferences? Could we see those disappear in the next couple of years? I think the OVC is going to be fine. I think it's going to remain a a Tennessee-heavy conference for a while. I would not be surprised if they reached out to some other institutions for potential football-only membership. You know, it's no secret that Youngstown State is kind of, uh, their fan base is kind of apathetic with the Missouri Valley Football Conference because they can't travel to any of the road games. Not that that would necessarily get better in the OVC, it would probably be best for them in, of all places, the Big South, with ju- which just added Robert Morris for football and also has Monmouth, which are both closer than Eastern Illinois or Murray State, say, in the OVC. But uh, I do think there are some targets out there for them to, to fill in with. And the Southland, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't think all the dominoes have fallen yet. Some people are starting to circle McNeese as a potential expansion target for one of these two leagues, either the WAC or the A-Sun. I don't know that they want to leave the other Louisiana schools behind. Again, I'm not in the the decision-making rooms in Lake Charles, but I do think it would be an intriguing move uh, for them to to make. And certainly, uh, they are one of the better atmospheres uh, in that part of the country in in FCS football. But the Southland has a a very target-rich environment 
for Division II schools. There are a lot of D2 schools in the Lone Star Conference that have been thinking about maybe now is the time for us to make the jump. You know, what is the point of being in Division II and spending all this money when we can go to D1 and get a lot more notoriety for maybe a little bit more expenditure? And as I look at that, I say there are going to be a lot of D2 schools in Texas that want to move up and join the, the, the teeming horde of Division I schools in the Lone Star State. I think the Southland will ultimately be fine. If that's where they go, it's where they go, if that's the route they go. But if they lose another school before they can make those moves, then things get really dicey. Keith, what do you think about this overall landscape as we have the A-Sun, we'll have the WAC as once we do get back to uh, normal football season? I know we still have the spring one coming up here, but um, what do you think? But does this move the needle to more competitive? We always talk about the big three, obviously, Missouri Valley, Big Sky, um, you know, and uh, the third one escapes my mind right now. I can think of JMU, but I can't think CAA. of <laughs> There we go, the CAA. Um, do you think this brings more competitive balance to the FCS? I'm not sure the CAA is going to be around a whole lot longer, to be completely honest. It was not in its current form, anyway, uh, because there are a lot of people with a lot of different uh, institutional priorities, and nobody really seems to get a good idea or have a good idea of what the league's goals are overall. No one's on the same page there. But uh, I, I think in terms of creating a conference that is competitive with you know, the, the Midwestern and Northeastern and, and West Coast powers, I, I call Montana, I want Montana in with the West Coast. I probably offended two-thirds of your audience when I said that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, they do recruit California very heavily, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that's, that's part of it. But, uh, you know, those schools out West, you, you want something in the Southeast that's, that's not just one or two teams that are sort of scattered around. You want something that's cohesive. You want something that's competitive and can consistently get three or four teams in the mix for SCS playoffs at the end of the year. I think with Jacksonville State, Central Arkansas, and Kennesaw State eventually joining this conference, you really get what you're looking for from those three in particular, but also adding Eastern Kentucky, a program that's won championships at this level long ago. And and that's a long time ago but they still have an extremely proud tradition and they put a lot of money into facilities and you know, they, they, they are aggressive with, with staffing and, and coaching hires and letting go of coaches who maybe are only a year or two away from building something that they were wanting when they hired those coaches in the first place. They're, they're aggressive and good is not good enough there. And I think when you get those sorts of schools in a league together, that's what ultimately builds you into something that is competitive on the national stage. Iron sharpens iron a little bit, and everybody's on the same page about this is what we want to do, this is what our goal is, and this is how we get there. And everybody agrees on that, and everybody does similar things. Different schools will have different degrees of success, but ultimately, this is how you build a competitive Southeastern Conference in the FCS uh, in, in the modern age, because Appalachian State and Georgia Southern just aren't walking through that door in the SoCon anymore. Keith, got a few more minutes with you here. I want to get your thoughts because obviously we know that Montana and Montana State, they're not playing spring football. My thoughts are I think majority of teams are going to say, hey, we played a couple of games. Uh, they'll look at it and go, you know what, we're, we're just going to prepare for fall. We're good with a couple of games we got. Do you think spring football happens and do you think the spring playoffs happen? Yes, and yes. Mm. I think it happens. I think there is too much will among the schools that are already doing this because here's the thing. I said this on my show a couple different times that the schools that have all that, that opted out in like October were the schools that were worried about the virus environment. The schools that opted out in November, December, those schools that said before the holiday break, 
we're not going to play in the spring. Those were the schools that were concerned about the virus. These are schools opting out now that are worried about the depth of their programs and worried about injuries, worried about player development, those sorts of things. I think that is a minority view in FCS football. And we are so late in the game now, Knock. We are just over two weeks from the first game. I really don't think that this is is something that people are going to just bail on all at once. The way that they did back in the fall, conferences aren't bailing out the way that they did back in the fall. This is going to happen, and I'm slightly less confident the playoffs happen, but I'm still confident the playoffs happen. Right now, we are with Keith Brake, host of The Breakdown. Keith, you, you talked about this yesterday in a tweet, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I applaud you for this. And obviously, mental health is something that this country still struggles with, and it's something that a lot of people are working towards, and, and you're doing that on Monday. Um, so I got to ask, man, just what led you to this and, and, and taking care of your mental health? Well, I wanted to do this a couple of years ago, and I was worried that I couldn't afford it. And and then eventually I just had to say, well, the heck with the money. I'll figure it out later because I, I really need to do this. I don't know that anything is even necessarily wrong. Not, and, and I think that's part of the stigma is that people will say, oh, you're going to a counselor. You're going to a therapist. You're seeing this or that person. You must have something wrong with you. I don't even know that that's necessarily true for me. Maybe I have something that's un- been undiagnosed for all of my 31 years on this earth, or maybe I don't. And maybe I'm just having a difficult time processing some things from my past that might have traumatized me in ways I don't fully understand. The point is to get a better understanding of what my body is telling me, what my mind is telling me, and to ultimately live a better life as a result of that. And I think the, the foremost thing that we can do is make that a conversation that we can have honestly with each other. And, and our generation, knock and Generation Z coming up behind us, which gives me so much hope for the future, the, these, these kids, um, we are breaking that barrier down mm-hmm. one conversation at a time. It is, it's no longer... We don't go behind uh, or behind a person's back and, and, and gossip with people like, oh, they're seeing a therapist. They must have had something horrible happen. These days, when you tell somebody that you're seeing a professional or you talk about it, uh, you talk about it openly. You talk about it casually. And, and the other person will come back with, well, let me tell you what my therapist said to me the other day. And that tends to be how the conversations go now, as opposed to something that's heavily stigmatized. I think we are doing a phenomenal job as a group of people, as a culture of breaking these barriers down, and we are not that close, not that far away from normalizing the things that I'm going to start doing on Monday, and I would encourage anybody else out there that's thinking about it to take the jump and, and make your life a little bit better because just talking to somebody makes a world of difference. Completely agree, completely agree. Keith Brake joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline. Again, host of The Breakdown on Bison 1660. Uh, check him out, 4 to 6 p.m. Central Time over there at Bison 6060 in Fargo, North Dakota. Keith, really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the insight as well, man. And look forward to chatting with you again soon. Appreciate you. Anytime, Doc.